Welcome to the LSU NCBRT Preparedness Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Markle. I'm a curriculum development specialist here at NCBRT, and I work in collaboration with subject matter experts to create valuable and timely training for the responder community. The National Center for Biomedical Research and Training provides mobile training to both the national and international emergency response community. Today on the podcast, we're checking back in with Tom Davis and Scott Parker about how the response has been in Washington State since our last conversation in March. Tom Davis has spent the last 33 years of his career in law enforcement. He spent the majority of that time with a large sheriff's office in the Pacific Northwest. He was a chief of police for that sheriff's office, covering operations and administration, including special operations. He also spent the last four years as the chief of police in the city of Linwood, Washington, where he recently retired this past August. Scott Parker has worked with the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office for the past 30 years. He is currently the patrol division commander, so he leads, manages, and oversees all of the uniformed officers who are the most COVID-impacted individuals in his department. Can you tell us a little bit about the, how the response has been since we last spoke, Tom? Uh, yes, Ashley. So I think much like a lot of things in, in public safety, uh, after a period of time where you become somewhat familiar with it, particularly something that we haven't seen before, there's a level of uh, normalizing, and, and maybe that's a generic term, but as we become more comfortable with wearing PPE, with understanding the environment in which we put it on uh, or don't put it on, and that includes not only on the road, if you will, for patrol response, but in our jail environments and, and our, our detective environments and even the office environment um, becomes important. And so I would say in a sense, now that it's something that we're somewhat familiar with and we understand it better than we did when we spoke last, that there's a level of familiarity and I won't say comfort, but a level of kind of uh, normalizing it as part of our workday process. As with any critical incident or emergency, you have that uh, that initial phase, that response phase, and you're working through a lot of unknowns, uh, unknown information, misinformation, uh, information that contradicts each other uh, as, as it comes in. But uh, since February, since the lockdowns and some of the mandates, things have stabilized a little bit. And I would consider that we're a little bit in the maintenance phase as we continue through this. And I, I'm talking about the patrol response and the uniformed uh, officers and deputies out on the street. While emergency management is still activated and they're doing quite a bit of work as uh, they did from the beginning, it's, it's become stabilized out on the road and we're just kind of I don't want to use the word coasting, but I will, and waiting for the the next big thing to happen, whether that's uh, a second wave come uh, the flu season, or now we're starting to ramp up and plan for distribution uh, of vaccines, which I think we'll get into here in a little bit later in the conversation. But it has it has stabilized a little bit, and everybody seems a little as Tom said, normalized or comfortable with whether it's the PPE or the procedures that we've put in place. 
Scott, you just mentioned the unknown, and that's a huge theme we've seen in our conversations with other guests of the podcast um, since we last spoke to you. So uh, can you elaborate a little bit on how your department has had to cope with constantly changing information and the unknown? Yes. We would still be in the unknown if we went to multiple sources to receive information, because as I said, it's 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 misinformation or it's contradicting. So we really focus on the health officer and our Department of Emergency Management to get the up-to-date information that we need to make decisions. And whether we modify our procedures or keep our procedures in place. So we've streamlined where we get our information from, which uh, which helps because we're going to the same source over and over again. Yeah, Scott makes some great points there. I think that one of the things that's important is that uh, we understand that in public safety, when we communicate with the public, we need to make sure that our information is the most accurate possible. And unfortunately, uh, you know, other perhaps other organizations or other interests um, don't have that same same level of responsibility, if you will, for information sharing. So. Um, as Scott alluded, in our in this region here, we absolutely use our, our health department uh, for guidelines and refer everything through emergency management as well. That way we have more or less one voice in our region. And I think that's really helped a lot with respect to the early confusion and early misinformation as we were all learning um, about this this pandemic as it as it became um, as it was introduced in our in our region here. You know, the other thing that I think is important is that we acknowledge maybe you don't have to talk a lot about it, but we acknowledge that over this period of time, it's become somewhat of a politicized topic as well. And so it's really important for us to stay away from from that aspect of the conversation and just focus on the facts and the communication and ensure our public is safe. Um, and that includes, obviously, members of the public who are making conscious decisions to either wear PPE or not in the community and how we address those as well. So it's been challenging, but the single source of information has really been critical in our region, and I think that's largely been successful. So as you've begun to normalize, as you both said, what do you think have been the biggest successes and major challenges in your continued response to COVID-19 so far? Uh, that's a great question, Ashley. I think the biggest success, uh, and I will speak regionally, not just for uh, the sheriff's office where I work, but in the county as a whole, we've seen very few illnesses of police officers. Yes, some agencies did have some people that tested positive for coronavirus. They isolated, quarantined for a period of time and then returned to work. But the big, the big success is certainly uh, the few that we've had uh, test positive. Some of the biggest challenges are competing interests. And Tom just alluded to the fact that this has become politicized a little bit. But what I mean by competing interests is currently, as uh, if you watch the five o'clock news, there's protests, there's defund movements, there's uh, still mandates out there and whether people choose to follow those mandates or not. And then we have uh, government agencies such as law enforcement and public safety that are bound by certain ordinances, laws, and mandates. So 
working through some of those uh, competing interests is is challenging. I think uh, if I can add to that, I think kind of back to the last bit of conversation, one of the successes has been regionally, we've done a good job communicating and it sounds a bit redundant based on the last conversation, but it's important to note that I think what we're getting right is we're getting right that there's one source of information. And if, if people in our community or any community choose to pursue other sources of information, that's their choice. But certainly we're putting out factual, accurate information, real time information for our community. So they're not looking at data or results uh, from six months ago or two months ago or anything else. It's very current, real time. Utilizing our emergency managers in each of our cities and the county and those groups of uh, collectives come together and communicate on a regular basis as well. The, the, the challenge, I think, uh, for us has been a, a, bit of, a bit of apathy maybe or a bit of, um, should we call it uh, COVID-19 fatigue or something like that. People are at some point saying enough is enough and, and they're choosing to wear masks or not wear masks or listen to the data or not listen to the data. And so that's been, I think, a challenge is keeping up the, um, the level of, of concern. Uh, we saw it taper off uh, after a bit of time here, and then we saw it spike again. We're watching other parts around the country, as, as you all know as well, uh, taper off and then spike. And we're wondering if there'll be this third spike or not coming. We're not real sure yet. But I think keeping a level of interest and awareness of, of the dangers of COVID-19 and understanding of how we can prevent it spread again is really important. But there's a there's a there's a bit of a uh, bit of fatigue out here in the community, I think. And I think it's a challenge for us. And I think it's important for us to recognize that as well. Transitioning over into some um, officer related questions. So we've had several episodes surrounding responder resilience during a crisis like COVID-19. Um, so with many officers seeing those they serve become ill, becoming ill themselves, seeing family members um, become ill, it can be difficult to maintain high spirits. Um, so how is morale in your department relative to COVID-19? Uh, Tom, do you want to take that one? Yeah, that's really important because morale is a, it's an important concept to understand and ensuring we provide an environment where people feel educated and understand what's expected of them. And I would say that the morale is, is high relative to COVID-19 because we have a better understanding of what it is. You know, there's this level of fear for all of us when something new comes along and we're not really sure what the end result is gonna be. It, as much as we talk about the dangers of law enforcement, I think in a sense, after 33 years in this business, I will speak for myself and say, you're really, people think we're risk takers in a lot of ways, but really what we are is we're risk managers. And so we, we want to manage the risk. We want to manage that with the most information possible. It's one way we do that. And so I, I think that as we understand it better, as it becomes uh, normalized again uh, in our offices, in our uh, communities, then it becomes just part of the workday. It doesn't seem as odd. You know, I think one way to look at that too is that, you know, the first few days when you walked around your community and everybody's wearing a mask was a very unusual kind of surreal thing. Um, now it's really a, a common part of our day. And I think, in fact, when, when uh, we get a vaccine, when we move past this, it becomes part of our, our, our history in the rearview mirror. I think that we also will still see people 
with a greater awareness of the health risk wearing masks. And so that will become more normalized. So I would say kind of in summary that, that morale is high because the information is present and we have a better understanding today of, of what it is. And, and I will add that uh, in, in, in my agency, we had a very few, we did have a few officers uh, become exposed and test positive, but, but very few. And initially we're not sure if that's gonna be 30% of your workforce, 40% of your workforce. And it turned out to be a smaller percentile. And I think in, in that regard, uh, people are much happier about that as well. So overall, overall high. I think what Tom said was well stated. And I actually look at this question maybe a little differently, uh, a little higher level. I think that resiliency is based on leadership qualities of who's running an organization or who's in those mid management positions or upper management positions. So in law enforcement, if we respond to a critical incident, let's say it's a SWAT incident, maybe there's a hostage situation or a barricaded person inside of a home. If I, as the leader, show up on scene and I don't have any answers, I don't have a plan, uh, I am falling into the category of providing misinformation or contradictory stuff. I, I give one directive, then I give another directive, and, and then nobody knows what direction to go. A little bit of chaos ensues. And those working under the leadership and management aren't sure what to do. And, and then chaos reigns supreme and, and everybody doesn't know what direction to go. So I just would take this as a leadership question. And if those managing organizations can stay somewhat calm and do the things that we've already talked about, single source or a uh, single source of information. We're not putting out contradictory information every other day. We're staying uh, in our lanes and we're giving out the most accurate information we can and not uh, creating chaos. I think that helps build some of that resiliency in our staff and it's very helpful. So in our last conversation, we talked about getting creative with procedures in order to keep officers safe, such as doing telephone triage or talking to people from outside their homes uh, during calls. Are there any other ways your uh, policies and procedures have changed in order to ensure the safety of officers during a pandemic? The procedures that we initially put in place are still in place today. They work, they're sound, and uh, we still use them out in patrol. Now we do have a, an exposure matrix that uh, explains if you're exposed to a COVID positive uh, person, you will do this. If this applies, then you will do this. And then uh, that is still in place today. And the reason it's still in place is about every month we push that to our health officer in the county and have them review it based on his updated laws, policies, ordinances, best practices, whatnot. And we've only, in fact, we haven't had to make any modifications to it. It, it still stands as a common practice, best practice, and those things that we put in place months ago are, are still in place and being adhered to. I would add that uh, most of the, the municipalities in our region, uh, Linwood is in the same county as, as the Sheriff's Office that Scott works for, uh, we all are subscribing or utilizing the same health officer, the same health department. And so 
even as as the health officer becomes more comfortable and sees more cases, becomes more comfortable decision making and sees more cases, uh, then the, I think the level of um, policy and practice tends to become common among the different agencies. And so if we hear that the agency next door to us is, is responding in a very similar manner with their policies and procedures, um, then that makes, I think, all the agencies feel more comfortable as well. Because in our region, we have a lot of mutual aid. And so it's not uncommon for um, our department to be at a call with three or four other agencies. And so if those policies and procedures are, are synonymous among the agencies, then the level of, of understanding of how we're treating our officers when there is an exposure uh, is greater. And so if we have two officers from two different agencies on the same call and there's a level of exposure that occurs, and one agency does something completely different with their officer than another agency, that's when I think morale becomes a concern. That's when I think this chaos, as Scott mentioned, becomes a concern. And so the fact that we are utilizing kind of one, one level of standard in our region has been really helpful. That would be a strong recommendation for any, any region that's looking at putting policy together or developing a second phase of policies as we've done here, is that they, they are doing that through a mutual, uh, mutual interaction with other agencies as they build those. One other thing to add in there is we talk about maybe uh, staff not adhering to some uh, procedures that have been put in place. And, and Tom hit on it earlier with uh, COVID fatigue, if you will. We do have the same procedures for staff in regards to when and where they uh, don personal protective equipment. However, uh, I don't track the burn rate as I was because we're not going through as much PPE as we did earlier in the year. And part of that is the apathy and fatigue that uh, has already been discussed. So that kind of gets into my, my next question about the challenges that you've experienced in adapting those procedures and, um, you know, how do you handle the varied opinions and like the, the varied, I guess, spectrum on how much officers are experiencing the, the fatigue, um, like the pandemic fatigue with regards to, um, you know, wearing PPE or switching out the PPE frequently? How do you handle that um, organizationally? Well, I'll, I'll start. Let Scott finish this question. I think the spectrum is a great kind of an, uh, a, a great term because law enforcement is, is made up of humans just like society. And so um, we see a spectrum of, of response or responsibility in society, in our communities. And we see that same thing within, within our agencies to a degree. And, and we have to make sure that I, that the default for us is that we're following our policies very, very clearly because uh, if you have somebody within the within the organization who um, is is all the way at one end of that with respect to how they feel and their concerns, uh, we also have to understand that 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 they may be going home uh, to elderly parents or they, or they may be primary caregivers for high risk individuals. And so, when if we have people that have this this level of fatigue or some callousness toward of being vigilant in wearing their PPE, then we have to make sure that we default to our policy and don't allow that 
to creep into the culture of the organization. And the reason for that is because I would say that COVID-19 in many ways, uh, what we've learned is very, very personal for people as well. And we don't really know sometimes their level of responsibility or interaction outside their environment. And so it's really important that we are extremely cautious and follow best practices and hold each other accountable. And also what I've found, Ashley, is that when you sit down with an, with an officer or an employee in, the, in an organization and, and you share with them exactly that, you share with them that um, other employees or an employee has a strong concerns and, and the reason they do is because they have high-risk individuals that they're maybe caring for or interacting with. That really, I think, in a way, um, hits home for all employees. They understand the level of importance that we respond as a team through this. The other thing we have to do is in the community, we have to kind of message that in the same way because oftentimes the calls that we're getting now generally are more around people that are and are not using PPE in the same maybe convenience store or public space in some way. And so some people become very emotional about that. So again, just communicating that that we should be cautious and sensitive to those people that um, maybe are living or interacting with a higher risk category of people. And really, I think in a way, creates a sense of community around responding to this together. Thank you to Tom and Scott for coming on the podcast to share their knowledge with us today. Next week, we'll finish our conversation with Tom and Scott. If you have any questions or topic suggestions for future episodes, please send us an email at podcast at ncbrt.lsu.edu. Make sure you subscribe to the LSU NCBRT Preparedness Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll see you again next time.